So, so you guys have heard the, the cliche that timing is everything, right? Uh, these, these photos that I'm going to show you kind of prove that. Look at this. This is the, uh, the Coast Guard uh, school, elementary school tour uh, that went really, really wrong, right? Um, you guys know if you're like watching sports, you know, there's lots of different things that happen. So baseball seems to have some of those timing is everything moments when they either capture that moment uh, or you just recognize, like these are bad, like the snowball picture here. Some of you have gotten one of these and uh, you felt that, that timing, right? But not all timing's bad, right? This morning we're going to talk about God's timing. And it's perfect. I love, love this. this look, look, you can't see it very well, but he's literally catching somebody's car keys. Isn't that awesome? Uh, talk about timing. It's impressive. Uh, the, the God that you and I serve, I want you to catch this this morning, is the God that you and I serve, his timing is perfect. And when we talk about the advent or the expectation of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ and the celebration that surrounds it. Uh, today, I have the privilege of talking to you about God's timing. And as we talk about God's timing, for some of us, there's questions. And I'll remind you, as we've been going through this, this series, Why Christmas?, that uh, what I love about my God is that he allows us to ask questions and to be curious and to wrestle. And we see this model in scripture. King David at times would say things like, why are my enemies prospering? Or there were times in scripture when the disciples asked Jesus questions. And, and I think it's okay for us to ask meaningful questions. And one of them that seems to come up this time of year is about the timing of Christmas. Uh, when did it happen? And some of you have maybe heard rumors of, did it really happen on December 25th? And why do we celebrate it then? And another big question that often comes up about the Advent in particular is that there was this window of time historically that was about 400 years between the ending of the Old Testament, the last book that was written, and the uh, writing of the book of James, the first book that was written in the New Testament. And so this, this 400 year time period, for, for some of us, this question comes up, like, God, did you forget what was going on? And, and today it's my privilege as we study this to, um, to follow up in this series the way we've been going through it, to kind of have some rules that we have when we ask these questions. The first one is to say, it's okay to be inquisitive, to to be curious, to ask questions like, why did this happen? Did this really happen? And, and then beyond that, though, the next thing that I think is very important is that we're informed, that we seek evidence. We try to understand what does scripture say? What, is, what does history say? What is archaeology? All these, these um, things that we can look back on, do they prove or validate or help us to understand truths that we see as they're described in scripture. And then the last thing though is to be intentional. Like how does this change our life? And this morning I want to focus in on one aspect of the um, incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is, I want us to look at this question of the expected Messiah. Some of you know that the word Christ is not Jesus's last name, but it's the Greek word in, in Hebrew, the term Messiah or Savior or the anointed one. That, that's the term in Hebrew. And that was this expected one that was going to become the King of Kings. And in Greek, that term um, would have been the Christ. And so we're going to understand as we look back that the Messiah uh, was expected. And we're going to look at how they expected the Messiah. And we'll talk about a few of those hundreds of prophecies that describe the expectation that a Messiah was coming 
But we're also going to look at what it means for us to have a God who I believe is, is um, working through creation and his timing is ultimately perfect. And, and I celebrate this morning the fact that God's timing is perfect. And uh, I, I want you to think about one of those watches that doesn't require a battery, but that it has gears like a Swiss watch that has uh, all the, the little springs and the gears and the, the details that have been put together. And I want you to catch this morning that while there is questions about the actual day that Jesus was born, I think that what's helpful for us is to understand that the God that we worship is the one who's putting together time in such a way that it allows us to see his mighty handiwork. And even if you walked in today questioning, God, God, do you, do you really care about the details of my life? God, do you understand the discouragement that comes when I've asked you to do something or reveal something and it hasn't happened in my timing to understand that that does not mean that God is not a God who understands perfect timing. In fact, that'll be a, a, a concept that I'll talk with you about today as we study God's word. And that is, I believe that God's timing is perfect. That, that he knows our needs more than what we do. And there's this wonderful passage of scripture uh, I want you to see this that kind of summarizes the truth of this, this morning. And it's found in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. It says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So, so what we recognize is that God is a God that is perfect in his timing. Uh, I, I was thinking about this recently. I've shared this before, but it's so meaningful to me. I, okay, I was sitting down with a couple who were really discouraged about infertility in their life. They were frustrated with God not being able to answer the desire of their heart to be able to, um, to have a son or a daughter. And uh, we met in my office and, and there was a part of this meeting that I just remember just praying like, Lord, we, we trust you. We don't know what you're doing, but this is their desire. This is the cry of their heart. And I know when we met that there was discouragement and frustration, expensive procedures, all these things that they had done. And then it was just a couple of weeks later that we'd find out that at the time that we met together, they were already six weeks pregnant. You get that? Isn't that awesome? Like, like that we're crying out to the Lord and we're saying like, Lord, would you please? And he's like, yeah, I heard he did, you know, we, we got this. And, and I, and I want to be careful because it's not always the yes answer that we expected. It's not always according to our agenda, but I want you to understand that the God that we serve, when we read this verse, he's saying the timing of Christmas was something that happened in its perfect place in history. And so, so today, don't, don't get too hung up on, we're going to talk about December 25th, and don't get too hung up on that date, um, because God's word isn't too hung up on that date. You'll never see that specifically described as the day that Jesus was born. But here's what we know. Praise the Lord, Jesus was born, right? I, I have an aunt, we, we, uh, uh, some of us have shared with you before, I don't know much about my last name. My last name is Brennan, and um, part of why we don't know that much about my last name is that my grandfather um, was, was an alcoholic and had a really hard story, and um, his first daughter that was born, my aunt Joanne, 
uh, one of our family members was doing some research and they, they pulled up Aunt Joanne's real birth certificate. And to everyone's shock, they found out that she was born the day before the day that they'd been celebrating her birthday her whole life. So she thought that she was born on this day in May. We celebrated her birth on that day. Um, but then we found out that she's been celebrating it on the wrong day. And you know what? It's kind of funny, but it really doesn't matter that much, right? Because we still love my Aunt Joanne, right? And so, so today, when we talk about some of those things that some might say, hey, hey, wait a second, what about this or this day or this specific, that, that we're going to unpack that a little bit. But I want to encourage you, if you stick with me this morning, you're inquisitive, informed, intentional, you're actually going to see something about our God. And I, I want to repeat this because it's so helpful, that the God that we worship, he's never surprised. I'm going to say that again. The God that we worship, he's never surprised because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is above and beyond time. I think it's also going to be helpful for us as we apply this truth this morning that God has a plan even when it doesn't feel that way and that our God is always on time. Some of you, like me, love the Lord of the Rings. Maybe you read uh, an encounter between Gandalf the Grey and, and Frodo and again, our Frodo's teasing Gandalf for being late to a party and, and Gandalf, the, the wizard's response back is something like this. He says, a wizard is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. Uh, don't, I don't recommend you try to use that on your mom if you're late to the Christmas party. Um, but I, I want to catch this this morning, that that's the truth about Jesus. The incarnation happened at the right place in time. And I want us to unpack a first question this morning. We're going to reopen Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me there to Luke chapter 2. We're going to pick up. Uh, we studied this last week. I'm going to repeat some of those verses. But I'm going to ask a question that's pretty important for some of us. And that is, they talk about Messiah or Jesus being the Christ. And yet, how did they expect or know to expect the Messiah? That question is important because it helps us to understand who Jesus really was. So, um, that, and it also has some really good answers. So, uh, look with me, beginning in verse 8 of Luke chapter 2, in verse 8. It says this, And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by, by night. Last week, we talked about Bethlehem and it, the uniqueness of Bethlehem and sheep. And we talked about these guys pulling an all-nighter. And that, that would have not been the norm uh, it would have been an unusual thing, uh, and it would have been something that they were doing probably because of the fact that it was lambing season. Uh, and so here they're watching over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. I love that last sentence. This is not just for them. This is not just for Mary and Joseph. This is for you and I. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Now, the, the question I'm asking this morning is what day was that? When did that happen? And we're going to try to unpack that together, but it's helpful for us to understand that they understood that this is Jesus Christ the Lord, that this is the Messiah. And that declaration was the thing that helped to lead these 
shepherds to Bethlehem because of the prophecies surrounding the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 12, then this will be a sign for you. And I want to encourage you today not to miss the signs of Christmas that are in front of us. This is a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. We, we recognize that the Messiah, that term Christ is a messianic term. It describes Jesus as being the anointed one, the chosen one, the one that they had expected. And I want you to catch that Mary, uh, we're going to see, expected the Messiah. The sheep, shepherds expected the Messiah. That there were wise men, probably theologians or individuals who'd studied Old Testament prophecy and expected a Messiah of some sort. And so there's an expectation of Jesus. And I want us to catch something. This is important. If you've ever gone to a Broadway play or um, you've been to a show, you know that the setting um, makes a huge difference as to their ability to capture your attention. And it's important for us to understand that the time period that the Lord Jesus entered into the world um, was, was significant. And that 400 years, some call it the intertestamental time period, was actually quite significant. That the stage was being set for the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me share with you a couple of reasons why. The, the first reason that I think is really significant is that in that time period, those 400 years, people were really becoming disillusioned with their empty religions. And so the Greeks and Romans, they were questioning this, um, the, the gods that they had been taught about growing up, and they didn't see them as being active and meaningful in their lives. The, the Jewish and leaders in the time period were under oppression. They were discouraged. They wondered if God was being silent, and they felt like they had been abandoned. There's questions about who God was in their life, especially based upon their circumstances and there were other religions, like pagan religions of the day, this, this, um, this sense of kind of living however you want, eat, drink, and be merry, uh, this, this hedonism that was common, but also the, um, the, the gods that were um, a plurality of gods. There's a part of all this that they, they felt empty. So they're longing for something more. They have an appetite for something more. And then through technological advances, there were things that were happening, especially under um, the, the rulers of the day. And one of them was just the building of roads that happened to make it really accessible for people to come in and through Israel at the time. I want you to see a map of this. And I want you to understand that in some ways, um, through the, the King's Highway and other things that were happening historically at that time, when the gospel comes... The message of the gospel is actually going to be used and spread due to the fact that this was things that were happening in that time that were significant and helpful. Advancements in shipping, advancements in ships, things that were happening that would make the gospel be able to be spread. The last thing might surprise you, but it was actually uh, Koine Greek. And most of you know the New Testament was written in a form of Greek. Um, that was actually a wonderful language that was the common language of the day. And so some of us have traveled to other countries and we've been in places where we were shocked. I can remember in Liberia um, being able to speak English there. And some of that was because of our historical connection with that African country. Um, but, but it's amazing sometimes when you travel to have others who speak your language. And Koine Greek was a language that was was broad. Um, it was something that was known. And so when the New Testament comes, uh, the stage had been set 
for it to be well received by a number of people in that ancient time period. So the stage is set. But then beyond that, I want to encourage you in the fact that when we talk about the Messiah, that there were some 300 stated prophecies in the Old Testament. Some scholars say up to 475 of them that were listed in the Old Testament that in many of them were fulfilled completely in the New Testament by Jesus, oftentimes saying, this was written back then so that you would understand who I am. And so these 300 prophecies or so in scripture spoke of a Messiah, spoke of one that would come. They spoke of an anticipation of the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like they, they were designed actually to get your attention. Uh, one of them that stands out is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. By the way, a virgin giving birth is reason for people to get their attention, right? And here it says this in Isaiah chapter 7, 14. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So, so this is one of hundreds of prophecies like what was recorded in Isaiah 9, 6, written 700 years prior to the birth of Christ, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called, be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Does that sound familiar, right? We recognize the connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. Zechariah 2.10 says this, Shout and be glad, O daughter of Zion, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Uh, I, I don't know if all of us have had this, but I had a neighbor that loved fireworks. Um, some of you know what I mean when I say like that he was like, like, like the kid Sid in Toy Story. Uh, he used to blow up like G.I. Joe dolls and all these things in the backyard. Sometimes he'd get his hands on some serious fireworks. And uh, I can remember a couple of times when he was messing around with fireworks. And um, some of you have used them before. Anyone want to confess that you uh, use fireworks? You like fireworks? Some, none, none of you. Okay. All right. Uh, so some of you, you know, there's, there's a moment that happens sometimes when you're playing with fireworks where you light it and you see the fuse go down and then it just, nothing's happening, right? And you're like, all right, I'm going to go check it out. And then it explodes, right? And I want us to, to note in this time period that felt like darkness or silence, that actually God was doing something. It just would have felt maybe like he wasn't. And I want us to apply this for a moment. Let's make this personal to us that for some of us, we've asked questions to the Lord. Lois's testimony was profound to me this morning because she's saying for years, she's saying, Lord, please, please calm my heart. Lord, please help me to come to peace with this pain that's been a part of my life. Lord, please, would you help me right now? And then in June, this year, years after that, there's an answer to prayer and it's crystal clear. Yes, I'm, I'm doing this for you. But for some of us, we're in that early time period where we're saying, well, wait a second, it feels like silence. God, are you answering my prayers? Do you know me? Do you care about the details of my life? And I'll just tell you, in times that I felt that way, it's just a moment before he's going to show up and do something incredible. I want to encourage you that there was an expectation of the Messiah. And there were many signs that were given that he is the Messiah. You guys know the, 
the, the hark the herald angels singing. We, we don't use that word hark very often, but if you've ever been to a wedding when the DJ at the reception says, and here's the bridesmaids, and here's the mother and father, and now the bride and groom for the very first time, whatever they say, they're, they're declaring, they're proclaiming this. And, and it's important to note when we study these verses that, that Jesus was proclaimed, that he was stated to be, like John the Baptist said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I think it's helpful to note that Jesus also, on many of these prophecies, claimed to fulfill them. And there were these descriptions in Scripture of his birth as a fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14, the triumphal entry, Zechariah 9.9. Uh, we can keep going. These, these times where Jesus claimed to be the Messiah so much so to the point where they literally wanted to put him to death because of those claims. I am he was the declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we recognize that he's in front of us. And I think there's something dangerous, um, uh, confession for me. It, it happens probably once a week where my wife asks me to grab something out of the fridge or I go in there and I'm like, all right, so where's the milk? And she's like, a milk, how do we say it wrong? Funny, my kids make fun of me for that. So, okay, where's the eggs, all right? So, uh, so, so she's, you know, I, I go in to grab the eggs and, and I can't find them. And my wife is like, well, they're on the top shelf, right corner. I'm like, I, I just don't, don't see them. And then she walks over and like, like points at them. And I'm like, oh, there they are, right? Uh, like they're, they're right in front of me. Uh, and don't, don't even ask me to try and find something in her purse. I am dead in the water on that. You know? She's got one of those Mary Poppins purses. You know what I'm talking about, right? So, so, so there's these times where it's right in front of us. And I, and I think that when Jesus looks at Simon Peter and he says, who do, who do people say that I am? Or uh, the, those of you who know the Bible, like post-resurrection, uh, he's on the road to Emmaus with his disciples and he's still explaining to them who he is. He's, he's hiding in plain sight, right? There's not hiding. He's right in front of you. Uh, the question becomes, am I, am I willing to accept the fact that he is who he claimed to be? Uh, I also think it's valuable for us to note, second point this morning, is that the incarnation happened in God's perfect timing. Verse 10, it says this in Luke chapter 2. It says, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts proclaiming God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth Peace among those with whom he is pleased. That declaration is awesome. It's part of what we celebrate at the Christmas time. Good tidings, good news of great joy. And what, what I recognize here is that, that there were signs that Jesus had come. Uh, some people chose to miss those signs. And he's encouraging us to recognize that it came in God's perfect timing. Now, now let's, let's, uh, let's approach one of those questions that many of you have asked, and that is the question about December 25th. And, and the question that comes up for some of us is, if, if I've heard people say that it didn't happen on December 25th, or, you know, my whole life I've been celebrating Jesus 
on December 25th. And so if that's wrong, can I trust other things that are in scripture? And then I'll first just tell you the way we got to December 25th, uh, you can test me on this, is there is not a verse in your Bible that says that Jesus was born on December 25th. There's, there's phrase, Luke, Luke says, in those days, uh, which sounds kind of vague, right? Back in the day, it happened. There's an intentional vagueness in scripture about what this day was. But let's remember, it's not because it didn't happen, right? It's because of the fact that the day is not that significant. And I'll tell you, it was about 200 years after Jesus, um, 200 years uh, uh, AD, that uh, we would find a, a description about December 25th, uh, a statement in history about December 25th being Jesus's birthday. Um, the first time that that was celebrated as a holiday would have been about 300, 340, um, and around that time period. And then around 400, there was a pope um, that uh, had made a declaration that de December 25th was the time period of celebration of the Lord's, Lord's birth. And some say the reason why Pope Julius I declared December 21st, 25th to be the Lord's birthday is that there was a pagan holiday at the time that was, uh, was something that he was trying to redeem in a Christian celebration kind of way. So, so when we start to talk about that, we, we line that up next to some of the things that we talked about last week about um, the lambing season and the shepherds being outside and um, that the sheep were born usually in the spring, one time of year, especially if it was associated with the Passover, like we talked about it. And it begins to now make us question uh, the day. Was it December 25th? And I'll just tell you right now, I, I can't tell you for sure that it was or wasn't December 25th. But what I want to recognize is that it doesn't really matter because of the fact that Jesus was born, right? So we, we choose to celebrate the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's really important, and this is going to be valuable, I think, for us, is it's important for us to not confuse this with some of the other myths and stories that surround Christmas. And so um, what, what happens, I'm afraid of, is that we've got truth that's taught in Scripture. God's Word is clear about the incarnation of Christ, God becoming flesh, the manger, and these wonderful details of the incarnation of Christ. And, and if it's anything like our radio, when we listen to Christmas music, we got one story that's talking about how awesome that the, the gift of Jesus is right next to grandma getting run over by a reindeer, right? Like that we, we get stories that, that are woven together. We, we had this privilege to interact with our missionaries who are serving in a really difficult place around the world in our prayer meeting on Wednesday night. And they were talking about people hearing the gospel, a, a tribe that had never heard the gospel before, that they have the privilege of potentially sharing the gospel with this person. They're talking about them like, these people are incredible. They're on the front lines of evangelism and sharing the gospel around the world. But one of the things the missionary said, I thought it was interesting, he's got little kids, they're awesome, is he, he talked about some of the silly stories that surround Christmas. And what I, what I fear when he said that, it resonated with me. What I fear is that we take the silly stories that surround Christmas that often have a theme associated with them. And it's, if I just believe, then it's true, right? If I just believe enough that it's true. And we blend that together with the truth of the incarnation. And what happens is at times those things become blurred. 
And so if God's word, here's, here's the deal. Here's the way I wrestle with this. If God's word's clear about it, then I wanna be clear about it. If God's word leaves us mystery, then I'm okay with leaving mystery there. And I think that that's really important. So to get hung up on December 25th, I can't tell you for sure if that was the day or not. And some of you are like disappointed, your heart's sad. It's okay, still celebrate Christmas on December 25th because it's a good thing. And remember, but don't confuse that with what it means for God to be a God who keeps his promises, who's faithful. Do, do you agree with me? Do you understand what we're saying? That we're talking about maintaining what is essential and ignoring or diminishing those things that God doesn't make um, as, as a priority or a promise. So, so even the year that Jesus was born, was it in the year zero, December 25th? Was it the year 4 BC, 5 BC, 6 BC? There's a lot of question that surrounds it. But God did not feel like it was important for us to know the exact date of the Savior's birth. If he did, he would have told it to us. And so at this point, I want to keep my jo Aunt Joanne clause on that one. And I want to say, praise the Lord that she was born. Um, I want to say the same with the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord that he was born. And I also want to recognize that truth that I keep repeating out of Galatians 4. That says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born of, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And I say to that, amen. amen. The timing of the incarnation allowed it to be a gift for all people. That's literally what the text says. And I, I think that it's essential for us to see that as a gift. Not everybody's opening it. Uh, some people are getting confused by the traditions of Christmas. My friends term the silly Christmas traditions versus the real ones. Um, a, a last illustration on that. When I was a, a youth pastor, I, um, any of you read the Left Behind series co-authored by Tim LaHaye? Some of you, is an older book. Some of you, like six of you, good. Um, it, it's a, it was a good series. It was fictional, uh, but it attempted to, um, to portray what might happen uh, at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the experiences that surrounded it. And um, we had been talking about some end times things in youth group uh, one Sunday or one week. And, and one of my students raised his hand. And after I had said something about the fact that we don't quite know, um, like, like some people will not recognize the Antichrist. And, and this, the, the little theologian in the room raised his hands and he said, well, Sean, uh, we'll know who he is because his name's Nikolai Carpathia. And uh, for those of you who know the book, you know that that's the fictional name that the author had given to the person who was the Antichrist. And I think that it's important for us to just understand that those kinds of things have the potential of creeping in. And for some of us, they become hills that we're willing to die on when in reality, they're actually saying something that God never mentioned in his word, or he allowed to be ambiguous because of the fact that he's ultimately going to be the one that answers that question. I think we want to be careful. This is the third point this morning, and that is don't ignore the signs and miss out on the Messiah. Don't miss him. So, so we want to make this a so what moment. Why does this matter to us, these dates and timing and history? Well, I think it's important for us to recognize that the God that we worship and serve is a God who keeps his promises I think Mary caught it, verse 18 of Luke chapter 2, just, it's just awesome. It says, 
And all who heard it wandered at what the shepherd told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. Um, You know, as that song says, and the soul felt its worth. Mary got it. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and they'd seen and as it had been told to them. They, They knew from the very beginning of this, the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ, they knew that they were a part of something awesome. And I think that it's, it's key here when it's described as a sign that we recognize that, that some missed that sign. That sign was saying to them that this was the Messiah. That sign was saying to them that we have a God who keeps his promises, who loves you, that he brought the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. Um, there's, there's signs that God's given us. And there was significant evidence about the incarnation of Jesus. Charles Ryrie Uh, says this. He says that according to the laws of chance, it would require 200 billion earths populated with 4 billion people each to come up with one person whose life could fulfill 100 accurate prophecies um, without error in sequence of the Messiah. Yet the the scriptures record not 100, but over 300 prophecies that were fulfilled in Christ's first coming alone. And so so his, his statement, this isn't actually a blind faith. Um, this is a faith that's based on evidence. That um, it's been well said that, that maybe some people misunderstand what faith is. Um, the one way that people use the word faith is kind of like a blind faith. And um, the Oxford English Dictionary defines faith as a belief based on evidence, testimony, or authority. In other words, faith isn't the opposite of evidence and testimony, but faith is reasoned. It's based on good evidence. But obviously, when you trust something or someone, not every aspect of your trust is proven. Uh, and the, the illustration is given, I think, is helpful. Like when I, when I go to the doctor and if I'm anticipating surgery, I don't necessarily always get the chance to see the credential. I, I don't actually get to see their grades in first, you know, first semester bio, Right. Uh, what I do get to do, though, is trust the fact that they have the backup to what they claim to be able to do. And Jesus has backed up what he's claimed to be able to do. Uh, but, but the problem, and this is really a challenge, this makes this important for us, is that there's some people who failed to recognize him. There are people biblically that failed to recognize Jesus when he walked and interacted with them. Um, There were people who saw and had memorized the Pharisees and Sadducees, especially the Pharisees, uh, or I'm sorry, the Sadducees would have have had historical memory of scripture. Pharisees would have known biblical truth, known these prophecies, and yet when he's standing right in front of them, they rejected him or ignored him. Uh, I had this experience when we lived in Southern California that uh, we were at the beach, and I think I was in the dairy section of a grocery store and uh, picking up some things, and I um, bumped into a guy there um, standing beside me, and, and I, I look over, I'm like, that guy totally looks like Robin Williams. Now, I, I had, like, grown up with Mork and Mindy, and, you know, he's like the gene, all, all the things that, you know, dead poets, I mean, like, I'm like, it's Robin Williams. And, and you can see it on my face. I'm just shocked, and then he just looks over at me, and he smiles real big, and he just shakes his head, like, yeah. Yeah, it's me. That's right. And then, and then we just went on with our grocery shopping. It was great. I, I, I recognized him. And for some of you today, uh, let's make it personal to us. We have family members or our own life that, that were exposed to Jesus. We've seen him. We've seen the, the results of what he does. 
But for some of us, uh, he's asking us to make this personal. Some of you are familiar with a book written by Josh McDowell. It's a wonderful book that says, that has as its title, The Evidence Demands a Verdict. And I love that, that phrase. He, he talks about the fact that when we have evidence of the gospel, evidence of Christ's um, incarnation, that uh, we can't just ignore it, uh, but we have to decide. Do we believe that it's true or do we believe that it's empty tradition? I don't believe the incarnation is based on blind faith. I believe it's actually founded in truth and I think that um, this is no silly Christmas tradition that says I believe in it and it will be true, but instead it's based on true, authentic evidence. Rick Warren puts it well. I want you to hear this. This is great. It says, the miracle of Christmas is not on 34th Street. It's in Bethlehem. Through Jesus, God offers you forgiveness for your past, peace of mind in the presence, and a solid future for eternity. Someone has said it well when they said, our God is never surprised. Our God has a plan that he's working in and through our lives, and our God is always, always on time. So, so the God of perfect timing, the one who came in the fullness of time, loves you so much that as you prepare for celebrating the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, that, that this doesn't require us to just have blind faith, but instead it allows us to have an informed faith based upon the fact that he is and has always been true to his word. So I'm going to invite you to join me for a minute to prepare your hearts to say, Lord, what are you speaking to me? What are you saying to me? For, for some of us in the room, the Lord may be saying to you that this evidence is something that you need to share. Josh McDowell in that book makes a statement, uh, evidence demands a verdict, that we should not underestimate the role that we play in clearing obstacles in someone else's spiritual journey. I love that statement. For some of us, that's what he's asking us to do. Uh, for others of us in this room, he's asking us to just take him at his word, to believe him, or to continue to ask our questions until we find good answers. I'm going to ask you, Father God, that you would teach us that. What, what do you want to teach us this Christmas season? I also want to ask you, Lord, as we prepare our hearts to close out this service and worship and to receive our tithes and offerings, I want to invite the ushers to come forward. And uh, we, we intentionally do this at this time in the service because we believe uh, our giving of our offering is a form of worship to you. Like we sing, we give praise to you, we give uh, what we believe are gifts that are uh, honoring and worthy of a king. I pray that you would receive our tithes and offerings in a manner that's worthy of you. And I pray that as we close this time out in worship, that you would receive our praise in a manner that's glorifying and honoring to you. Thank you, Lord, for the signs that you gave us, would we not ignore them? In Jesus' precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen.